the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Rio Rancho Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom. Annalise's work you can find over at MMAJunkie.com. And on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this. Hopefully, it's before the fight, because I'm recording this right after the weigh-ins. Actually, there's still about like four fighters left to weigh in. I think like Butorin just weighed in, which is a... a good thing, I guess, we'll get into reasons why, um, or why it's surprising, I should say, regardless of who you're picking in that fight. But yeah, that's when we're recording this one. Um, again, I was, I was always way too tired and in pain, which I'll, I'll save you the story there. Feeling a little better today, uh, either, a lot better in the sense of you're going to get a better podcast this way, and was able to watch a little more tape in a week that, like I said on Twitter, was going to be admittedly light on tape study. So no recap to get through, no uh, major notes to push through, not, not that I, I'm, I'm going to want to, just going to give a one shout before we go into the breakdown. Of course, like always, you don't have to listen to me, you can skip to the very end where I recap my picks and plays, um, which there will be both, so I'll recap those at the very end, so... Let's not waste any time. Let's jump right in it. Let's get it to be as expedited as possible. Just wanted to give out to a listener of the podcast, Danish, at Josh is my bro name. Um, I forgot to, you know, answer his question. You know, here I am going, you know, guys, uh, let's get some participation up on these questions, listener questions, you know, wouldn't hurt. You know, freaking Josh over here. Josh is my bro name on Twitter over here. He's like, all right, let me shoot you a question. My, you know, dumbass doesn't even answer it. Yeah, Dan, I wonder why we don't submit questions, Dan. Um, And he was just asking me the fight I enjoyed the most. And uh, and biasly, it was Bectic Ige, the last card. But, man, how can you not love um, Kraus versus Jacobs? Because, you know, (laughs) how often do you really get that? And even, you know, the brass told James Kraus, you know, we're we're not jumping in last minute like that anymore. And those are great fights, damn it, you know, back and forth rounds uh, and whatnot. And uh, I can see a couple fights uh, having that similar dramatic effect without the late notice uh, replacements. Well, maybe there is one late notice replacement. That's not the fight I'm talking about. We'll get to that. Coffee. As per usual, we're going to go from top to bottom uh, because I usually run out of steam by the bottom. But we're going to go right through this, so I-, I doubt that'll be a problem. If I do miss anything on the top fight, though, that is... Corey Anderson is your favorite, minus 210 versus Jan Blockowitz with a comeback of plus 175 in the rematch. Got an in-depth breakdown over there. MMAJunkie.com just talking about their techniques and kind of how they've advanced through the years because essentially they are better fighters, but they're not vastly different fighters. They've essentially sharpened on or in some cases um, added to um, you know, their repertoire in Anderson's case, though, I, I would argue they're mainly the same fighters. They're just much 
much better and sharper versions. Uh, um, I, you know, you guys know I've been a big fan of Blockwitz. Uh, I think I've only picked against him once since his, uh, since, you know, facing Alexander Gustafson. And embarrassing enough it was to, uh, a fighter that was on this card before we really knew more about him. We'll get to Devin Bambi. Uh, and a little bit, a lot of my favorite impressions or, or favorite names I like to say, uh, coming up in this, uh, coming up on this card for you, uh, longtime listeners of the Protecting Egg podcast. Um, gotta spice it up some way, folks. It's just me here, all right? <laughs> Let's be honest. Uh, but yeah, no, I, again, I'm a big fan of Blockowitz. I backed him a lot. He's done well for me as a dog. Um, but man, I, I don't disagree with these lines, uh, with the line here, you know. Um, Blockwoods has improved his cardio. Uh, whether it's, you know, him jumping into these, uh, you know, uh, ice cold lakes that's been doing it or other methods, but the man has uh, been able to improve his cardio into his later 30s. Um, and later 30s isn't some kind of a bad thing at this uh, this weight, you know. It's a bit of a longer leash. It's not quite heavyweight, but we're practically there at 205. Uh, and he doesn't cut a ton of weight uh, as far as to get to that weight class. So I do expect better cardio. And in the other part, Blockwitz has improved. I would argue is his wrestling uh, defensively and offensively. Um, I expect that uh, to be better as well. But I don't know how much it's going to hold up, uh, even coupled with the improved cardio. Because basically... And I alluded to it in the breakdown, and I I went back to read the odds and opinion section at the end, and I didn't quite go back and rehash and put a stamp on this point. Um, so it's not that I didn't state it, but it just again it might it wasn't emphasized enough in my opinion. Uh, but Blockwitz, even in his successes, um, he he's backing himself up to the cage, and that's kind of been a part of his evolution. He's he's a much better counter striker, and when he does get stuck against the cage, he's got a much better clinch to deal. Um, with said wrestling threats. So it's worked out for him more often than not. But do you really want to be putting yourself with your back to the cage against a, a guy like uh, Mr. Anderson? You know what I'm saying? I mean, Corey can hit him, you know, reactively out in the open. He can chain in the open. But he chains dang well from the from the fence, too. And we just saw him some other guys from, you know, Cummins to Teixeira um, in said space. And, um, you know... I believe Blockowitz beat beat Cummings, but uh, as well, you know, again, beating better wrestlers uh, than you're supposed to be. Granted, oh no, he lost. It was a majority. He put a decent account for himself because it ended up being just kind of a sloppy, tired fest. But um, but yeah, it, I don't know if I like that for Jan. I think this. I didn't like this matchup when it was announced because uh, you know, I, I would like to see Jan as a reluctant title challenger. Uh, not that I even like his chances, even against, um, even if I'm, you know, even against quote unquote suspicious, uh, suspicious de- deterioration, John Jones. But that doesn't mean I still don't want a dog to get his due as far as a chance, right? Uh, I, I don't know if either guys guarantee themselves a title shot with a win, but, but um, I definitely don't think, you know, I think Jan should as well, but uh, I don't think he gets past Anderson here. I think Anderson. I officially put the decision, but I'm very well aware that um, if this is going his way, uh, you know, those rounds four and five, he could get a late stoppage maybe in or something. Attritional. We'll see. I mean, Jan could definitely hit his uh, uppercut, you know, hook returns that he's really good for. 
maybe even spark something off uninspectively with a well-placed jab of his. So, but I just think that unless he, he finds those routes in the first two rounds, it's going to be a uh, Corey Anderson. I'm debating whether or not to uh, use Anderson as, as a parlay because I'm having trouble attaching to the one parlay piece that I have, and I'll give you guys. But uh, I'm having trouble to figure it out where I want to put where I want to put him. Uh, geez, damn, why you have to make it sound like that? <laughs> I don't know why, I did. but um, I'm just always afraid to bet Anderson and don't like betting against guys I like, like Blockowitz, who is a live dog to his credit, despite me picking Anderson and agreeing with the line. So the pick is Anderson. Be careful. All right, next flight. Um, Michelle Pajeda minus one fifty five. Diego Sanchez plus one thirty five. I mean, is is there ever an avoid fight if there was one? This has got to be it, right? I mean, because. No matter who you pick, there's no way you can be confident. For example, my dumbass put Sanchez in, not because I didn't think he was, I'm not going to use the excuse, because I, I didn't know that he was still working with that crazy guru dude, um, who, all sorts of red flags, I mean, holy crap, man. Um, the self-awareness guru, my goodness. That's enough to make me pick against him, and I was, guys, I typed it out like twice in the last like 48 hours to change my pick. But part of it was I don't like bothering Uncle Maddie uh, to change picks. Uh, the guy's got enough to do. As our editors are, keep very busy. And then when I see that he's like on site somewhere, I didn't realize he was going to be at this New Mexico card. Um, I was like, I definitely don't want to bother him. And then two, I'm like, not just my bad luck, because I broke that spell, right? It was like a good... It was a good year and a half or a year and three quarters where every time I changed my pick from my original submitted pick, uh, it was wrong, which, of course, got in my head more and, and just, again, made me more just wanting to have my tape study done before I submit my picks to avoid all this, which I'm not always the best at. And like I've said so before, again, I come clean with you guys. Uh, I haven't been able to do this year yet because of just, again, yeah, I'm not going to get into it, but you, all the craziness going on in life so uh i was victim to that again here folks so i kind of had to excuse me submit quick uh picks in luckily all the fights minus this one matched my initial impression as far as my analysis so that was another reason i'm like well i'm not changing any other picks so that's part of the reason i'm like i'll hold off in case like i change my mind on Venata Madero's, which spoiler alert it's going to be on the avoid list anyways um, as well as Sanchez Pajeda. Uh, so I ended up picking Sanchez, and, and it wouldn't have mattered even if he wasn't with the Guru. I'd still feel bad about this pick and probably have picked Pajeda if I was thinking more clearly. And I knew Pajeda was the favorite. It wasn't it, but it's just like, you know what? Even if I did pick Pajeda, how confident am I in him, especially if he doesn't get the knockout in the first two minutes of the fight? Um. That being said, uh, you know, the basic dynamic is, you know, with all the weight that he's cutting, and Sanchez was smart putting it out in the air that I think he was smart. Uh, of all the red flags that he did put out, I think the one thing he said that was smart that was emphasizing that he wasn't going to fight Pajeda uh, if he didn't make weight. I'm sure that got back to Pajeda, who was already, you know, nervous about missing weight after doing it once and looking like an idiot in the process, right? So he, this guy is killing himself, and, you know, Beheda was freaking doing, um, you know, sauna and bags and dehydrating himself on Monday already, looking sucked in. And that was even on his Instagram. I mean, I'm like, what the fuck is this guy doing, dude? Um, 
I thought he was just kind of a more of a brand than a fighter, the way he's being marketed and whoever manager is working his Instagram and the way they're using it. But then I look and I'm like, no, this guy's been fighting for a while, man. He's got you know karate. He's got some wrestling background, which makes sense because he's always kind of had that level-changing double, which he'll kind of admittedly use to stall when guys are pressuring him because even in his earlier career, he doesn't like being pressured. Luckily for him, he's got some decent jiu-jitsu and, and some decent wrestling. Uh, uh, but I don't think that the wrestling is going to be better than Sanchez's after about two minutes. Again, it's all with that. I believe so many of his skills are tied to his explosion. Uh, and that is the dynamic, and it's hard to deny. That being said, what goes against my Sanchez pick, and the reason why I wanted to pick it is because even though I knew he got dominated by Kiesa, and Kiesa went to dominate RDA, so, you know, you know Kiesa's on this run, shouldn't be overlooked, he's kind of proved it, even though, you know, <laughs> there are some signs that maybe maybe his RDA shot, but no, I went back to look at it, and I, Sanchez might be shot, man. I mean... I do think those like Muay Thai inside elbows to the back of the ear that welted his head up really fucked him up, and that was enough to put you know most people out of a fight. You know, like we saw like Machida get elbowed behind the ear like that against Rockhold with some grounded pound, and we saw him like stumbling, and he just wasn't good for the rest of the fight. Like the fin- the finish was inevitable at that point. Similar deal with Kiesa, who you know matches Rockhold in a lot of other ways too, but particularly those elbows. So perhaps that could have been a part of it. But not only was Diego not swinging on the feet, but even on the ground, you know, um, that wrestling and that scrambling that just was relentless and underrated even at times of his career. I didn't see it, man. He had times to explode and he was going for leg locks. Now, one of the leg locks he actually sneakily almost kind of could have gotten and almost leveraged to reap the knee. So I, I can't hate on him for that. But aside from that one moment, which is like, early round three or late round two. Like, there were ways out. Um, and not necessarily, there were risky ways that would have involved giving his back again or this or that, but it's nothing Diego Sanchez is not used to or not averse to before. So, it was very disturbing. Um, if he's shot, then he's going to lose this fight and get knocked out. If he's not shot, he could still get knocked out. Um, but if he's not shot and he's coming in with this guru crazy guy, which he clearly is, obviously, he can still win this fight with that dynamic of he can take over um, against the Gaspajeda, who's also going to be fighting at Elevation, a place where Sanchez lives and breathes. So, um, The pick is Sanchez, and I would say it's dog or pass, but I feel, feel like Diego has, has stomped any confidence you could have in playing him here. Um, if my night's going well, will I will I and he's still plus money? Will I put you know a few dollars on him? Possibly as a degenerate, but I'm talking literally a few dollars. <laughs> like it's not. I can't even say dog or pass here. This is a void list all day. All right. Um, uh, thigh guy, uh, anti Gulov uh, is off the card. So Dequan Townsend. Uh, He's a hell of a drug. <laughs> Just kidding. I think that was a contaminated thing or something. Not trying to judge. Uh, not trying to du- not trying to judge Dequan there. Uh, but yeah, uh, man, he's getting a bounce back after two losses. Just fought late January. I think this is, was an attempt to save himself uh, coming back again, like he did at Dolchus, short notice. Except, you know, he's fresh off a fight. Um, he didn't take too much damage. It was his opponent that took damage. It still was able to win all three rounds, which is Bevon Lewis. 
Uh, now Towns is back at 185 against Devin Clark. Uh, of course, you know Devin Clark. His dad is his corner man. He's just got that distinct voice, and you just hear him from the background. Come on, Dev. 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 When it's going bad, he goes, come on, Dev. Come on. Boy, I exaggerate that impression, don't I? That's the key to good impressions. You have to exaggerate them. Or, as Mike Henry, writer for Family Guy and voice for Herbert, uh, says, you make them a pedophile, <laughs> which I didn't, I usually do with my impressions. I didn't do to, old, to, to Devin's dad. I just, just impersonate the hell and brutalize his voice. But I, I love him in the corner, man. I, I love corner people you can hear. <laughs> That's why I like Mark Lehman. Shane, watch the triangle, Shane. Listen, uh, fucking Mark Lehman scream his voice out uh, to Shane Roller uh, to avoid Anthony Pettis' triangle for you. Inevitably, it's triangle. That's one of my favorites. Sounds like Mark Lehman's being stabbed in the corner. Um, Yeah, Dan, that has nothing to do with the fight. All right, uh, minus 390 is a lot to land Devin Clark, but Devin Clark is the reluctant pick here. I don't blame anybody taking a shot on Townsend because how can you not root for a guy like that, you know, as far as just coming in here short notice? uh, Just really needs a win. It's his third try after fucking just failing miserably twice. Uh... Uh, not saying failing miserably to be disrespectful or or dramatized, but you know he's he's definitely in dire straits here. Um, and Devin Clark is the kind of fighter, win or lose, to just randomly fall apart in a fight. So <laughs> I don't blame anybody doing a degenerate sprinkle on Townsend, or uh, even taking a degenerate sprinkle on uh, that Townsend uh, seventeen seventy plus seventeen seventy five round three. Don't ask how I know that, Derek Love. Um, but like because. <laughs> Devin Clark could dominate two rounds, but if he doesn't finish Townsend, I gotta imagine Townsend's gonna like wake up and go, oh yeah. Um, and Clark again, win or lose, he doesn't ever puts as much of a pace and is not as sticky with the pace as he should be. He will leave pockets. Um, so it's like if he doesn't find a finish, I just I don't I, I, I I'm not even sure I can see Devin Clark staying keeping it together till the end of the third round. <laughs> Even in a victory. So I'm reluctantly picking Devin Clark, but I ain't playing him. And again, I don't blame anybody for uh, any inside the distance late round or just straight up sprinkles at that plus 320 just for the shits and giggles. But I wouldn't put anything serious on that, by the way. I mean, Devin Clark's favored for a reason. Heavily favored for a reason. Uh, Montana De La Rosa, the next fight, minus 165. I don't know why I've got to speak like she's Penelope Cruz from the movie Blow, but that's just, I, that's what I imagine when I say this name. Um, is training over there at American Top Team, you know, good stable mates, but I just still feel like even with the good camp, it's just hard when you're just, Dumped in the um, the the bigger fishbowl, you know. She she fought decently regionally, you know, where she was supposed to have a fight against Veronica Macedo, where you know Tapology looks it's his fight canceled back backstage brawl. But as someone pointed out on me on Twitter, um, I don't want to say someone to discredit them. I just I don't remember at at this moment. Uh, and you don't have an avatar, sir. You do respond to the podcast, so I appreciate you, but. Put an avatar picture on there. But he said it's probably the name of the event. I think he was right, so which is not fun. <laughs> Anyways, Maromero uh, Borella. You know, we've seen her, and, like, granted, she beat Talita Santos, but 
you know, I don't know how impressive that Talita Santos record is when you really break it down. And then you look at her fight, it wasn't an impressive fight from either ladies. I mean, she got a split decision that could have gone either way. It was, there was not a lot there. And the fact is, whether she's successful or not, she spends a lot of time with her back to the cage. I got to imagine that's the judo black belt Barella has. It's going to make her, um, it makes her overly comfortable in the clinch, but against a girl who outranks her and is going to be a better jiu-jitsu practitioner in brown belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Montana De La Rosa, who grew up wrestling at, all, at you know, all-American level even. Um, by the way, going to Montella De La Rosa, it's the cutest guy. I wish my niece was in a martial arts. Like, looking at Montella De La Rosa daughters and all her friends, like, in wrestling, that's so badass because you just don't see much girls wrestling. It's just such a rare thing. I love that stigma being broken. Uh, I know. It's my old soft side coming through. Sorry, folks. But, no, I like um, I like Montella De La Rosa's uh, MMA grappling game. Um there are girls that are going to be more athletic and even technically skilled, arguably, than her, than her, which is why Andrea Lee was a favorite one and was a, probably a bigger favorite at that, right? Uh, but that's not Barella. Um, and uh, if Barella does get on her back, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like her game from there. Her striking, again, even like watching the pad work at American Top Team, it just, it's, it's got, still got a long way to go. I mean, um, she's still putting combinations together and like, to the sense that like you could tell when she's working on emphasizing and slash adding on her leg kicks combinations because the punches she's barely she's just rushing through the motions to get to the kick kind of like you know just it's a very young attitude that you even see kids have but just young as in you're young to the kickboxing in general um and you'll see people they'll rush to get to the end point of their combination um and that's I'm not trying to pick, but if you're being critical, it's very novice to see at the USC level, even in these divisions. So um, even though Montella De La Rosa is like nothing like huge to write home about, she's got fundamental boxing that she really works on defensively and offensively, and that's going to be enough. So uh, I like her here. Um, I may even play it, but I just I don't know about playing a fight in this division. It kind of scares me if the price goes down. We'll see. But... Um, I got De La Rosa. All right, next, Brock Reaver, an inflated minus 265 against Rodrigo Vargas. Um, or at, I should say uh, Rodrigo Vargas, a.k.a. Um, Eric Del Fiero from Alliance Training Center. He looks just like Eric Del Fiero. I was talking with Matt Wells uh, when he was fighting uh, Alex Da Silva, who looks kind of like Kevin Lee. And Matt was like, hey, let's say Kevin Lee. I'm like, yeah, Kevin Lee's fighting... Uh, Fucking Eric Del Fierro. Um, yeah, I got Brock Weaver here, but I'm not too confident. I mean, uh, I gave Brock Weaver a C when I know everybody was really high on him. I rewatched it, and, and maybe I was being harsh, but I still stand by the fact that I think people were judging Brock Weaver's performance off his personality and post-fight speech, which is awesome. And you know, how can you not love it, right? I love it, too. But as far as skills goes, you know, he, and this is like going back on the regional scene too, he would hurt guys and then just crash into the clinch. It's kind of a problem he always had, and I marked him off for it a bit for that contender series bout because it almost cost him. I agree that he should have won, but he's very lucky fighting that kind of fight. The judges rewarded him for his uh, punch activity and um, enthusiasm over the takedowns and clinch time uh, from Smith, Smythe, his opponent. 
Uh, that being said, I don't think it'll hurt him against Vargas because Vargas is more of a stand-up guy, for one. And he's a fellow Southpaw. So this is going to be one of two, I think, Southpaw versus Southpaw matchups we have on the card. Uh, and Vargas, not just a Southpaw fighter, but he really has a strong left kick that he likes. And the good thing about uh, Weaver going to be a fellow Southpaw is it's going to close off that powerful body kick you hear commentators talk about. It doesn't clo- close off the power lane. For the left hand. He's still going to have to worry about that. But I like Weaver's boxing. Especially better in close. He goes to the body more. And Weaver again. Even though he clenches clenches and crowds his work. He does have a serviceable takedown game. At least against the cage. And he quietly has a good jujitsu game. He's quietly a brown belt. Which he should be. I mean the dude's been fighting. Albeit at an amateur level. He's been fighting and training since 2009. So that's over a decade. You're going to get some tricks, and you're going to get comfortable on the ground and be put in spots whether you're a guy who likes to strike and throw it out or not. So in that sense, he's got the credentials, experience, and I just believe from what I see, a lot better. So I think his crowding paths, and if he wants to follow that to takedowns, it's going to serve him well against Rodrigo Vargas. I don't know if I want to lay minus 265 uh, on that. If he was under 200, then maybe I would uh, I would lay him down. Uh, with some Tim Means or something, but uh, no, I'm gonna pass. I'm gonna pass for that price. But the pick is Weaver. Um, next fight. This is on the avoid list. Like I said before, uh, Lando Venata minus one twenty. Ansu Medeiros plus one hundred. I want to say there was movement on this one. Let me check right now. First, let me that Brock Weaver. Yeah, a little bit of money came minus one. I see that's about right where Brock Weaver opened. It's still a bit high, but you know whatever. Um, Venata. Venata opened at plus 140, and now he's a favorite. So I can see why people took that, because uh, hometown edge activity um, and whatnot. And, you know, you could make arguments considering that he was the one that got the knockdowns in the Frivola fight. And as well as the Bobby Green fight, albeit one compared to two, he still was the man with the knockdowns. Uh, that being said, um, the straight shots, especially in that Bobby Green fight, I really see Medeiros being able to replicate. Uh, and giving him problems, and the fact that, you know, Medeiros, I know he's got four KO victories, but he does have a durable chin. Now, that being said, we've seen Venata land explosive stuff to get the knockout, and he could certainly do that here. But if Venata doesn't knock him out in round one, I think he could be in trouble. Furthermore, after listening to interviews, Venata sounds like he's going specifically. I mean, he hates the judges, and I don't blame him. That being said, he's gonna he's got he's gonna be running a risk because he's got all the reasons from his inherent style and nature to wanting to go against the judges to stating that goal for himself that he's gonna go for the finish. However, that makes it all the more dangerous. I mean, we saw guys double strike counts, dominate, knock down almost dead in Madeiros and Francisco Masserman Duba Trinaldo in his hometown of Brazil. And he tired himself out beating up Madero so much that he gave up moments at the end of round two and round three, right? Clear, uh, at least in my opinion, clear uh, uh, win for Trinaldo, but still, he allowed him into those fights. And even guys that are tough, durable, bigger, just as battle tested, and Cowboy Oliveira, who, by the way, never was finished prior or since from strikes. Um, granted, it was a nose, but again, the attrition from the battle caught up to him. And Medeiros, he was right there to catch it um, in round three. Easy, Derek. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
uh, it's an inside joke, by the way, for new listeners. I don't even know how it got started at this point, but uh, I'm a gambler and, and, and avid listener of the podcast, Derek Love on Twitter. Uh, he's a uh, he he he's been ride or die with me on some on some some of um, my notable round three scores, and uh, so I always uh, reference and, and and shout shout my dude there. Um, but yeah, I actually see that here. Uh, I could see Maderos um, earning a decision. Uh, based on even though he you know can get wobbled and he doesn't wear damage well that way, um, again he lands straight shots. He's got reach and he's going to be a complete different fighter, which is why it's on the avoid list. You know he's saying he is. I you know he's, he he looked like he's been in shape according to his Instagram. When I was out there in Hawaii, he looked like he was in fight shape. And this guy's not getting out of shape anymore. Um, so I don't think this. And I think he already weighed in this morning anyway. So I don't think the way is going to be an uh, issue for him. And uh, Venata, you know, yeah, he trains at elevation. He's fighting at home, but we've seen him get tired and gas out in like almost all of his fights, right? Um, and when he's been more measured, the only time we really saw him more measured is when he was losing and kind of getting dominated by uh, D. Casey. Granted, D. Casey hurt him early with leg kicks. I wouldn't put, you know, uh, adding in leg kicks uh, to be past Madero's, but I doubt Madero's will be doing it that heavy of a style. Madero's, you know, he did karate grow- and wrestle growing up. So his kicks, and that's why it's also why his distancing have more of a almost a karate uh, bladed nature to it. So the power is going to be the power and the style is going to be a bit different. That said, Madero still has wicked power um, off his punches, and if he doesn't get iced or hurt by any of Venata's kicks, he counters well enough off the kicks. I think to sting Venata, and again of the wrestling, I picked Gregor Gillespie to win dominantly, but. It was something people forgot. Like, Maderos grew up wrestling and uh, I think even was like a high school state champion and shit. Um, even when he gets taken down, he's, he bases out and he tripods like like Derek Lewis with such a slope to his back. That you try to take his back, you know, it's, it's hard to stick. Again, you got to be a really good grappler, a real top-notch level grappler. Now, Venata uh, had some wrestling and scrambling ability that I praised before and has, I guess, quietly worked his jiu-jitsu considering he's a brown belt, I didn't realize. He's got a lot of wrestlers, jiu-jitsus, and judo guys in his camp that he is flexing in the old gram. Um, so, you know, he showed it against uh, uh, Marcos Mariano. Just let's take it to the ground. Uh, I, I could see him wanting to do that against Maderos, but I hope he's not undergrading Maderos' ground game because, uh, again, unless Venata finishes him early, um, Maderos isn't a slouch on the ground. You know, he's not going to give up a sub... Uh, uh, super easily. Um, you really got to hurt him. You really got to compromise him or really just got to be a good ground guy um, to a level that Venata has not shown that he's at. Uh, and more importantly, not only is he deceptively hard to take down, again, when he's hard to take down, it's Maderos's get-up game. You add that to the attrition, the heart that he has, the way that he just makes... Again, whether you're wrestling him or striking him, Maderos is going to make you work. And at, granted, regardless if you train there, you're quote-unquote used to it. Um, if you're gassing out in your fights and you're not good at pace management, Maderos is the last guy um, cause he's, to do that because he's going to draw the brawl out of you. So I don't disagree with money coming in on Venata as the dog. I don't disagree with him being opened as or moved slash bet to a slight favorite. However, 
you cannot be confident this fight's not going to get ugly on paper, especially when you factor in not just all the things that I brought to the table, but again, Madero's his time off. You can't disagree that it was good for him coming off those two TKO losses. You can't disagree that it makes it even less uh, confident knowing what Madero's is going to bring to the table as well. So for the dog money, I'll take the dog. And uh, I kept, that's another reason why I kept my pick. This was another one aside with the Pajeda Sanchez that I thought I might have a chance of uh, switching my pick after I look at the tape. I don't feel super confident in it, but uh, the pick is Madero. It's going to be on the avoid list because that's where it should be. That that being said, um, especially if I'm doing well and from the beginning of the night, will I, uh, will I maybe uh, sprinkle a couple couple of general dollars on uh, Madero's there, possibly. Maybe uh, maybe uh, take a look at that uh, round three uh, round three prop where I see him uh, possibly getting it done to be the first one to finish Fanata by Strix, possibly. Yeah, big as Madero's, but be careful, folks, regardless what you're doing there. All right, next fight. Next fight. Um, Tim Means, Dirty Bird. Favorite, speaking of, you know, my Twitter is... Uh, my favorite southpaws are on the card. Tim Means, minus 290. Daniel Rodriguez, plus 245. I actually um, fell asleep watching fights to Daniel uh, Rodriguez Rodriguez uh, last night. Um, he's a fellow southpaw. Boxer, he likes to pressure. Um, likes to throw knees in close. And uh, he's got a serviceable ground game. I believe he's like a purple or a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under the 10th Planet style. Uh, however, I don't think his wrestling, albeit serviceable, and his jujitsu, which is, doesn't look bad at all, um, I I don't think, um, or at least I, I don't like it uh, against Tim Means' underrated groundwork, which has been there for some time. He just hasn't gotten credit for it. Uh, Tom Vaughn uh, comes from a catch wrestling background, so you know I love the style Tim Means applies. And uh, I'm like, well, Tim Means hasn't fought really any southpaws. I was like, don't tell me the only UFC-level southpaw was his 2005 loss to Spencer the Kingfisher back in the Dizay. But no, he actually has a UFC-level win or win in the UFC because that Spencer Fisher loss was outside of the UFC, albeit a, obviously, UFC-level guy. Um, <clears throat> but it was uh, to Marcio Alessandre in a split decision, which was kind of ridiculous. That was, a, But that, you got to imagine, too, that was Brazil-era. Um, I mean, that was like, you know, the TNT's on the mat, which means, you know, all the guys are, uh, as they shout out to the guys on MMA analysis, you know, uh, just drinking, you know, drinking magma uh, in between rounds and shit in those days. And uh, the judging was a bit crazy. See Worley Alves, Alan Joban. It was like that era of judging, right? Um, so he got a split, even though, in my opinion, he handily beat, beat him for for three rounds but he got that weird thing where he had the controversial thing where he lifts him off the ground and it was it was it was close timing but i believe it was a legal knee the ref stops it allows marcio alandre to recover even after determining anything was an illegal knee gives him the recovery time typical brazil right um as a brazilian ref as well and i'm not shitting on my brazilian brothers and sisters let's just call them for what it is man uh for, for what that era was especially um what it facilitated, I should say, but and then and then he recovers and then he rocks Tim Means with the head kick, right? I'm like motherfucker, um, with the clean drop, but still Tim Means comes back and just fucks him up with elbows to the end of the round. So I, I still didn't give that round to Alessandre, much less two rounds to him. Anyways, so the southpaw versus southpaw matchup didn't really mess with Means too much. 
Um, he was still able to find his left hand, which according to the bio for Daniel Rodriguez is his favorite. The problem is Daniel Rodriguez barely throws straight left hands. He barely throws jabs. He barely throws straight shots. It's really three twos for the most part. And very varied looping ones at that. I don't think it's going to bode well for him uh, with the straight shots of means. I know this is a southpaw versus southpaw matchup, but then you include the uppercuts. Um, he's had success with knees, but if you look at it, like Daniel Rodriguez was fighting, he looks like he could make lightweight, but it's good that he doesn't because he's got some base to him in that in his uh, in his midsection there. And I don't mean that in a bad way; he just looks like a thick guy, right? Naturally, he's got a like a sturdy frame. Um, so welterweight should be his weight class. He's bounced around from middle to welter primarily, but he's also primarily fought guys with losing records. Look like they should be fighting at lightweight, and look like they were also late replacements. And like those, and they were shorter than him, which Tim Means isn't going to be, despite Tim Means formally fighting at lightweight, which he shouldn't have been. In other words, I don't think these knees are going to be as effective on Tim Means especially who is a bit of a beast in the clinch himself. So I like Tim Means. You guys know I love Tim Means. You know he's always a parlay piece for me, though the judges always find ways to fuck him. It'll be interesting. Just I think this fight's going to go inside the distance just because these both guys both look like they like to come forward. Um, Daniel Rodriguez just looks like a less sharpened version of Tim Means, though they're both very similar southpaws at heart. Uh, going to go with the Dirty Bird. All right, next flight, Nathaniel Wood minus 145, John Dotson plus 125. Um, this was the last fight I was watching tape on. Don't worry, I watched tape on more fights to come that we'll be talking about. I'm just saying in the order that I did, I went. Um, yeah, I, 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 I agree um, with Wood being a slight favorite. I'm not sure he opened that. I wouldn't be surprised if John Dotson got the heast baked. Uh, as the favorite, either way, this is a uh, or is an opening favorite. No, he did not. He uh, actually opened his, his line opened a bit wider, so the respect came in from the betters. I don't blame them. Good luck to you, but I'm on the other side of this one. Um, I'm not uber confident, but I do have a, a prop play attached for whatever that's worth. Um, and I'll just explain how I got there, I guess. But basically, you know, it's going to be the classic John Dotson's going to be the classic vet test southpaw because even in his wildly receding hairline looking like a, you know, early 90s character from uh, fucking uh, New Jack City aside, he was able to light up uh, Peter Yana and tax him with the left hand, keep him honest. I believe scoring a knockdown, although it was brief, they scored it as it... As such, and gave Jimmy Rivera, you know, um, a decent test uh, bounce back fight as well. Was you know, I think that that Pedro Munoz win is going to keep him above water. However, stylistically, uh, I know I was the only one who saw that one as far as John Dotson that that being a good fit for him. And that was the last fight where he threw the numbers. But again, he had an aggressive Brazilian like John Lineker. The second to the last time we've seen him really throw those numbers. Since he's come up from flyweight, uh, he'll answer the call. That being said, Nathaniel Wood's not going to fire meaningless volume. Nathaniel Wood has had two southpaws, albeit a switch dance fighter who primarily did fight southpaw. Either way, he's had that look twice in competition, and I like his footwork. He's not just going for the typical fighting for the outside. He's going both sides, and he's steering, cutting off, uh, and, and quietly persuading into the... Uh, 
pocket, uh, you know, uh, exchanges into the pocket at his preference. Uh, real s slow measured steps. I really like his footwork. That was the big key for me watching. He is the younger fighter, though, so what worries me is that he's going to be the younger fighter without the speed advantage. And although Dotson is the older fighter, and I'm not trying to blind fade him, like, which can be popular. Oh, older fighter, younger fighter. I'm just going to load up on the young guy. I know that's like a, that, that could be a real popular theme. But I think there's more specific aspects that are showing John Dotson's age, which is attributing to me both picking and taking the prop that I'm going to take here. Um, that being said, you got to be careful again about blanket statement and guy's age because Dotson is still, I believe, going to be the faster fighter here. It's just his reluctance to use his speed and attack is a very maddening fighter to watch um, for me and many. You know, Dotson will sit on the outside and just expect things to happen. And when he's not having a guy like a Munoz or Lineker blindly running into his left hand, he tends to get frustrated out of there. And he gets to get frustrated more and more, you know. That Marlon Marais fight, just looking for, for calls instead of fighting out of position, like that could have been a winnable fight for him. I mentioned that again with the when I was talking about the Henry Camp and Southpaws, which, by the way, Corey Anderson beat Tom Lawler. So he did, he did beat a Southpaw uh, under uh, Mark Henry reign there. But... But yeah, um, yeah, and then not just the Marlon Moraes fight for Dotson. I went back to watch the uh, Peter Yan fight, and he gets Yan to his back, and it's like, dude, you should be taking advantage of this to bullshit your way to win a round, being a veteran, much less a veteran from the Jackson Wing camp. Like, winning rounds is your guys' specialty. Um, but uh, as Obi-Wan would say there, and... Um, by the way, I give I give Dwinkle John a lot of crap, and I come off rough, you know, with his cornering and ponies, ponies all day, talking about that kick. But hearing him do a, uh, you know, having a special needs daughter and doing the martial arts program, I'm like God damn it! Every time I, every time I take a shot at these guys, they 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 come out in an interview and like reveal something that like plays right to my heart. I feel like the biggest asshole. So, props to you, Uncle John. Uh, but you know, uh, you know, Dotson. Dotson, you know, he, he gets him to the ground. He should be taking advantage of that. And what does he do? He's like, oh, he's like, his, his foot's on my nuts, ref. His foot's on my nuts. Like, it wasn't a nut shot, relax. It's like either it's, there was no nut shot there. So or what are you, you know, you complaining about his, his foot on your balls? You know, I, I doubt you're that. I doubt you're homophobic slash that homophobic. Well, that's what you're complaining about. So it's like, what are you complaining about? This is early in the fight. You didn't get hit in the head. You didn't get rattled. You're not in desperation mode, and even if you are, more of a reason to take advantage of the position. Like, he just doesn't be doing questionable-ass shit out there. And then you look at his numbers, and unless, again, unless the opponent is making him answer the call, which in which case he's still losing those rounds numerically, his numbers in his last four or five fights have just been dwindling from rounds one to three. Then you couple it within, with, within him sitting back, and whether they're going off the old rules. I don't know what rules that they're going off, but let's just say they're going off the old rules since that's kind of a relevant conversation since we just have to see that. We see how much they award forward pressure, even if there's not a lot of volume attached or volume that's hitting, right? Um, and then in regular rules, just by judges' biases, they're going to naturally kind of favor the guy going forward because even if they aren't in their head, Counter strikers are always going to have a harder time in exchanges, um, getting credit because you're going to have to depend on the judge a knowing what they're looking at and b even if you know what you're looking at, 
Human error is a motherfucker. You got to count that they had a good vantage point, that they were paying attention. And even if they had a good pay vantage point paying attention and then they know what they're doing, sometimes you just see exchanges funny, folks. And you really get, you see them a complete different way the second time around, except the judges don't get the benefit of the second time around. So if you're going to pot shot and be a counter striker, again, you always run that risk. I've been saying it for years. I hear the broadcast booth say it as well. This isn't anything new. Um, so hometown, perceived hometown advantage or not, are you really going to be confident they're going to be giving uh, Dotson rounds and close Dotson uh, close rounds, even if he did win those rounds, albeit closely? That's a hell of a gamble. Um, and he doesn't go for scoring takedowns as much as he should and used to. And even then, Wood is looking only better. Uh, he's got the Bravo chokes, he's got get-ups, and he's got takedowns and re-wrestling of his own. So... Does he even have that advantage in that case anymore? Now, I don't see Nathaniel Wood being able to submit Dotson like he's been able to anybody else. No one's been able to submit Dotson, right? But in that case, if he can't submit him, I'm not sure if he see, I'm not sure if he knocks him out because Dotson can survive even against volume-heavy hitting guys like Jan, right? Even at this more advanced age of his career. Um, so it's definitely going to decision, but it's going to be close. So if it's going to decision, it's going to be close. I get why you want to side with the guy with plus money next to his name. He's the veteran. Good luck to you, dog betters. But I still don't trust him to win that fight. And even if he does win that fight, I don't trust the judges to give it to him. So for that reason, if you're going to put plus money at plus 108 for Wood by decision, I will take a half-unit shot. That is the prop. Nathaniel Wood against, again, I don't want to get that he's aging, but John Dotson's 35 is going to be 36 this year. You know, he's only born in the year before me, granted, but there's this saying that I have, guys, and Frankie Signs, the reason why he's one of the, uh, you know, I think he has a top five statistical upset over Yuri Alcantara for a reason, is because he is an older bantamweight, but even him, I think he only maybe had one or two fights where he won, much less were competitive after this, but um, fighting at 135, when you're above 35 is a very dangerous thing. Now, Dotson, again, he is 35, turning 36 in September, so he's right within that range where things start to go south. Again, lighter weight classes, lighter fighters are dependent on speed. That is Dotson's game. You know, eventually it's going to go. Do I expect him to drop off a cliff on this fight? No, not necessarily at all, in fact. I, I, I still stand by my pick and play even if he doesn't, but that is something to keep in mind here. Pick is Nathaniel Wood by decision. All right, next fight. Scott, hot sauce, Holtzman. Minus 135 versus Jim. Rilasson. Plus 115. Um, I got Miller back when he was up plus 130. Uh, somebody uh, else on Twitter said, obligatory blind bet on Miller. I think that was Die Adams. Shouts, Die. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I took, you know me, I took my shot on Miller here. That being said, you know, I do believe there's pathways for Miller to win it. I mean, like Miller said in an interview this week, he's like, you know, Holtzman's never been finished, but it's not the first guy. He's finished a lot of guys who hasn't been finished before. Um, and let's not forget, Hot Sauce Holtzman, although he's a better athlete, he's going to be the heavier hitter. He's going to have the cardio advantage. He's a, a, younger in miles. He is still 36. And if you look at his losses, he's always lost when he's gotten to reasonable fighters. Like, and, and I don't want to discredit Holtzman or the guys he's beaten, but if you want to play that game of who's he's beaten, like Holtzman is really, and again, I don't think this is fair for this matchup or fair to Holtzman. 
I don't agree with it. But that being said, you can't deny that if you want to play that game, that Holtzman is ripe for the picking. I mean, not only is he, is it just like a clear like, oh look who you beat to who, look who you lost to names to no names, but like he's his wins are like some of the most lowest level competitions been able to squeak through the door. Like starting with like, no offense to Chris Lolo, I mean, he's one. I mean, put it this way. I'm out of shape and terrible shape now, but you know, I'm, <laughs> I don't even want to go there, but okay. Cause Chris Lolo is Cody Fister. <laughs> Fister, Fister fight kid. Fister who fucking looks like fucking, what was his name? Uh, what was uh, Stephen Avery's? And Brendan looks like fucking Brendan Dassey before Brendan gained the weight. Jesus, Dan, why are you punching down on people right now? I apologize. I'm an asshole. Um, Michael McBride. Um, Daryl Horcher. All, cre- uh, all credit to Daryl Horcher, you know, and his story. But this was post-motorcycle accident, Daryl Horcher. Uh, Alan Patrick Silva, who somehow, like, goofy danced his way uh, to staying in the UFC as long as he did. Loses to Nick Lentz, and then, of course, um, Dong Young Ma, who, let's be honest, I mean, started off his UFC career just getting knocked dead in uncomfortable ways from Marco Pollo Reyes and um, a non-stop action-packed Steele, Dominic Steele. But then he gets fucked up with the bat from Negan, right? <laughs> Damn, how many times are you going to make that joke? I'm sorry. It looks like fucking... Glad from The Walking Dead. I mean, so like those are his wins. You know what I'm saying? This is this is advanced age, but it's still Jim fucking Miller. Um, it's a and it's a southpaw who you know. Uh, I want to say yeah, the only southpaw he's faced is Drew Dober, and he lost that fight, right? So, um, Miller, he's been hitting heavier as he's gotten older. Um, he's been a, a better counter striker, which is going to be real useful. I think that that inside counter too. Uh, Holtzman hits heavier and can hurt him as more offensively to hurt him, but Holtzman's not beyond being hurt or hit either. So I could see actually Jim Miller stinging him and getting the submission early. I could see Jim Miller stinging him, taking his back and closing out that round, not submitting Holtzman, but earning the round. Uh, then I could also see Holtzman coming back and hurting Jim Miller and getting on top of him and getting a very decisive 10-9, borderline 10-8, depending on what rule set they're using around to where they're both ten, you know, heavy 10-9s on one way and having to dog it out. And it would be tough for Jim Miller to win that third round. But Scott Holtzman's not exact, even though I give him the cardio edge, he's not exactly like a cardio peak. And again, in that scenario, he may also be coming off of gassing himself out from trying to finish Jim Miller and Jim Miller just being so damn durable and veteran savvy that he can pull out that third. Uh, either way, I even if you do favor Scott Holtzman, which I do, and if it goes to decision, it's not by a lot. And even if you're a Scott Holtzman supporter, you can't really look me straight in the eye and say if he wins by decision, he's going to be just dominating every round. It's going to be easy decision. I don't, I don't know about that. Um, so Scott Holtzman is going to essentially have to, if you're betting Scott Holtzman or picking him to win, you're pretty much. I imagine you got to be thinking seventy percent of uh, sixty to seventy percent. It's got to be knockout, right? So what happens if he doesn't get that knockout? Then he's let, on that thirty to forty percent to win a decision, which again, to my standards, feels about. 
about right because it's, it could go either way, in my opinion. It could be, it's going to be a dirty fight if this thing gets a decision with both guys having their moments and rounds, I believe. Um, what's another scenario? Oh, the other scenario, then Scott, Scott Holtzman hurts him early, which is really bad, right? Really bad. However, if Jim survives, then I think it's really good. If Jim survives, then I think his chances of winning rounds uh, in the decision go up not a lot, but a smidgen higher. Because Holtzman, again, he's going to have to be working off that empty tank for two. Or that, you know, he he, he was trying to get him out of there. Um, Jim Miller has decent wrestling of his own as well, though. You know, uh, I could see him getting a takedown on Holtzman early because Holtzman's aggressive or later when Holtzman starts to tire. Um, either way, it'd be smart for Jim to make some early ones in. It's always hard to tell what st- status Jim's coming in at, but he's been able to win when he, uh, you know, uh, when he's been in bad shape. And even like his worst year, which he said was 2017, like he was competitive against Anthony Pettis, much more competitive than people thought. Granted, Anthony Pettis's trajectory. Um, he was super close you know, if you one tactical move because uh, he had Poirier on one leg and still was able to get the majority, uh, get it to majority of the decision, right? Uh, and then he fought some other fucking killer that year. So, I mean, they're respectable losses, even if he lost completely healthy. But, uh, oh, Francisco Trinaldo in fucking Brazil. Like, that was the stupidest fight to take. It just was a bad matchup stylistically and all that. Um,. And he still made it to decision somehow with goddamn Trinaldo. Um, and then he took Dan Hooker when I guess he was offered uh, Lando Venata, and he took Dan Hooker. Like those were both dangerous fights. I think Dan Hooker was higher ranked, more dan- uh, so more to gain, perceived to be more dangerous at the time. And I think time will tell to be a better fighter. Yet Lando Venata, and this has nothing to do with my pick. I already made my pick after this, but Lando Venata. For being all zen and, like, being groovy Lando, and I like his personality, zen otherwise, like, the one time he kind of showed to be an asshole and take a shot at a guy and accuse of, of was, was Jim Miller of all people? And he accused Jim Miller of running. Like, I mean, Jim Miller of running. Yeah, Jim Miller was running from you, Lando Venata. Um, <laughs> Jim Miller, since... Okay, Jim Miller, who fought fucking Frankie Ed, guys like fucking Frankie Edgar, at Bart Pawlyshevsky, uh, on the regional scene, uh, debuts David Barron, Matt Wyman at the time, tough fight, uh, one of the few people to beat him. Gray Maynard lost to, but Gray Maynard was beating everybody. Uh, Beats Mac Danzig, beats Steve Lopez, drops Dwayne Ludwig. I remember that before he arm bars him. Uh, Mark Bocek, who quietly fucking took scalps of that division, was a tough grappler. Unanimous decision him. Speaking of tough grapplers, Gleason Tebow shuts him down, boxes him, and Muay Thai's him up on the feet. Uh, submits Charles Oliveira. Um, speaking of guys who were never stopped, one of many who were never stopped before him. Oh, as well as Kamal Shalarus, who was fucking... That was an impressive win at the time. Has mono and uh, just hangs tough with Benson Henderson, who was amid his title run. Uh, beats Melvin Gallard, who is the underdog. Melvin was destroying people. Uh, Nate was on his title run to meet Benson, so he loses to that fight. No shame 
Joe Lozon, 155 fight of the year. Pat fucking Healy, no contest. Of course, Fabricio Camoy submits that Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Chokes Yancy Madero's unconscious. The guy, Lando Venado, set to face. Um, gets killed by Donald Cerrone, who he still... Again, Jim Miller's such a badass. Is like, yeah, we're close on records. It'd be cool if we just ran it back again. Talking all nonchalant. All the respect in the world for Cerrone, yet showing no fear. Like, what a badass of Benil Dariush. Um, this is when he starts getting the, uh, when he starts entering the Lyme disease era, doesn't realize it. Still digs out a, a split decision against uh, Danny Castillo. You can really tell something was wrong with him, but Kiesa was on a, a rise, so props to him, gets that win. Diego Sanchez, you know, he's feeling like crap, probably should have got that win, even though I picked Diego Sanchez by decision there. Uh, Takanora Gomi beats that legend. I was there for UFC 200. I know that's a later Gomi, but hey, that's a later Miller at that point, too. He's just rocking up names from fucking other generations. Beat Lozon again. Beats Tiago Alves in a fight that he gained weight to go up just to meet Tiago Alves, who missed grossly. Uh, what a badass Jim Miller was there. Beats Tiago fucking Alves again. Almost beat Dustin Poirier. Uh, real close. Takes the majority. Fights Anthony Pettis, Ronaldo Hooker. Beats Alex Way accordingly. Loses Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira is on a possible title run. Uh, Jason Gonzalez handles him accordingly. Beats Clay Guida. Like, yeah, he is, yeah, I'm sure he's afraid of, of you, Lando Venata. Like, Lando, you're a cool dude. But, like, picking on Jim Miller, of all guys, uh, that everybody fucking respects. And that's another thing. You can hear Scott Holtzman's respect. And I almost think he res- he's going to run into that Mike Pyle thing. You know, like a lot of guys do with Mike Pyle. What Mike Pyle did win... <laughs> You know, when Mike Powell lost, it's because they couldn't get the gym version of him out. Like, you know, he couldn't get out of his own way. And then, like, a lot of times when he won, not taking anything away from Mike Powell, but it's like you could tell the guys were some of the guys almost just had too much respect. And you do that, Mike Powell's going to fucking big brother you. And Jim Miller's a nice guy, but he'll fuck you up, too. But, yeah, I just that was just really surprising. I'm like, Lando Venata, picking on all guys, Jim Miller, and much less saying anyone's going to run from a fight. This is Jim Miller. Like, all right. Okay. <laughs> Insert Slater Sanjay from Dazed and Confused. Okay. Um Alright, long way to go there. But yeah, I'm picking I'm picking Jim Miller. Um so there is substance there, in other words, not just a bias pick that is admittedly a bias there. Um let's blow through these because I've got to use the bathroom. I would not like to edit. Um actually I may have to. I'll just pause right quick. I don't want that steam. Sorry, I'm back. I uh, wasn't going to be able to hold. Let's go. Um, uh, Ray Borg, minus 150. Rogerio Bonturin, plus 130. Um, I like uh, <laughs> I like Bonturin. By the way, I wrote Gus Frame, Chuto Brazil, 67 announcer. Uh, Gus Frame from Breaking Bad. Then he looks like the announce this guy, the announcer from Chuto Brazil, looks just like him. Especially that Michelle Pajeda fight at Chuto Brazil, 66. Um, and I got some Bonturin. And Bonturin, you know who he looks like? Doesn't he look like the Brazilian version of Robert Whiteford, the Scottish guy? Robert Whiteford. Haggis. Haggis I told Ariel about. It's not exactly the sick boy method. <laughs> sick boy's got no morals. Kex, Stevie. Throw your kicks. Um, He looks like a Robert Whiteford. Ah, Haggis. Um, but Bontarin, uh, and Bontarin's a savage, dude. Like, you hurt this guy, and he seems to finish you. Um, and, 
he is uh, just got this. He's just like this wicked. Like he's got this wicked farm strength. He's like Husamar Palhares, except less um, with the specialness to him. I try to be rude there, but y'all know what I'm talking about with Palhares. Bontarin seems a little more there, um, but he, this guy is like a farmer. I think look, he comes from like a rural part of Brazil, and so he's just got that beastly strength. Uh, unfortunately, he does have some, you know, some of that. Kind of, I'm trying to be polite here, but that kind of simpleness to him, right? Uh, with that article that was going around about him weight cutting. He made weight, though, like I said, off the top of the show, which was surprising. Uh, hopefully, he doesn't continue to do it by starving himself. But he's been performing this way nonetheless. Um, I've seen him when his opponent comes in overweight, and he still wins. I've seen him when he comes in overweight, and he still won. And that was in Pancrase, and that's notable because not so much that the Takashi guy, uh, who had decent experience and all, was like the most notable opponent in the world. But in the Pancrase organization, if you miss weight, it's going to be a no contest. So, like, not only do you have that shame, depending on your conscious level, of walking in knowing you missed weight, but you also have to walk in knowing that even if you win under this organization, it's still going to be a no contest. Yet, he got past that mental hurdle. He looked, like, awful, apparently, even after the rehydration, and he still came in um, and did what he needed to do to finish and get the guy out of there in the first round. So Bonterin, even though he's been, you know, yeah, he's been stung too uh, in fights. It was a tall guy. I think it was uh, on the Contender Series. Uh, but then he comes back. He composes himself, will come back, start swinging and hurting that guy, then take him down and suplex him, and then choke him out. Like, this guy is a savage, man. He's passing the test that I like to see. Um, Ray Borg is the deserved favorite, though. Um, hopefully Borg didn't have trouble making weight. I didn't see if he made weight. That's about the time I'm recording this Friday morning, so I'll still get this out to you guys 24 hours uh, before the card. But Borg, minus the... I know I'm doing a lot of Michael Chiesa referencing tonight, but minus the frame, which is probably a reason why he, he would get more finishes if he had Chiesa's frame, because at spirit, he's very similar to Chiesa, man. I mean, his striking's not terrible or anything. He just doesn't really use it, and it hasn't really evolved, like, a lot. Like, he was maybe even more wilder early on. Like, I, I, I uh, he threw more flying knees back in the day, which, by the way, it wouldn't hurt him to bring back his flying knees and uppercuts more, like a little, you know, um, to bring those shots back. They're not as conservative. He's been, if anything, a little bit more technically tight and conservative and just getting right to his game plan. But Bontarin, despite having a Muay Thai state champion accolades, he also has box amateur boxing accolades or experience. And he really has more of that style because he fights not just more out of a boxing-centric style, but more specifically out of a crouch. So uppercuts and knees are just are, are going to be right there to hit Bontarin. So those are going to be Borg's best bet. But his spirit, ultimately, he's got like that Kiesa spirit where he just wants to get in and scramble with you. I mean, he can even get in and start losing, failing on takedowns and losing on exchanges, and he'll still eventually win fights. And that's not abnormal for him to do. Uh, and that could be his route here. I think that's what he thinks his route here is because he's done it to really good grapplers before. Um, except I see this fight you know, being a fight where it catches up to him. Um, and I don't want to say catching up to him like there's age or it's more of a stylistic thing because Borg is super young. We forget. I think he's still only like in his mid-20s or some shit. You know what I'm saying? Like Borg still has room to get better. Um, it's just he came with such hype. And, and, and even though he might have adjusted things like mental, 
or weight cutting, prep, adjusted his training. Like things have changed, but not a lot about his style has really changed. So that's why we saw Borg go. Because lest we forget, Borg was was pulling like minus eight hundred numbers in the beginning of his career. You guys remember that? Um, and and rightfully so. We 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 all pumped the brakes on it, right? Uh, still, I still think Borg is deserved to be favorite, but I think Bontarine can win this one. I've, I've really been really high on him. Um, and uh, I, his his he's not just a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. I mean, he's a really good one. Uh, positionally, scrambles his scrambles are just insane. Um, when guys scramble with him, he tends to get him into quicksand and take their backs, and I could see that here. And I don't think Borg is used to that. A guy that's going to be strong as him and can scramble with him. And Volterine, not just jiu-jitsu, he can wrestle too. I mean, not just wrestle, but he's got that freakish strength, like that Kamara Usman-like strength. He just picks guys up from positions he probably shouldn't have complete leverage from. And he'll fucking do it anyways. He'll, like, hoist guys over his head for fireman's carries. Like, this guy's a freak, man. Um, last note here, uh... Ray Borg monkey paws like Bill Murray bowling in uh, Kingpin. Um, I forget what fight it is. I think it's the uh, Casey Kenny fight in the beginning. Like Casey Kenny does two things, and sometimes he'll do that. Like uh, it's like a stylistic thing. Like you'll check or you'll spin, and you'll kind of do like a hands up, like a guard, like a flat. It almost looks like you're doing a Daniel Son thing, but Muay Thai fighters will do it. Like, you know, it's like a defensive pause. Like, you're pausing your, your defense for a second. It's it's like a flash. It's like a, a style. It's almost, or it could be like one of those idiosyncrasies, like uh, Forrest Griffin used to do all the time, where he would tap a, tap his glove to the top of his head. Like, you'd see boxers do something, or some boxers will, you know, some Muay Thai fighters, they'll adjust their shorts, some boxers, they'll kind of put their hand on their hip, their lead hand on their hip. That Muradoff guy, the Mayweather guy, Muradoff does that, right? And um, uh, Borg, you know, kind of did that a bit. And he would uh, monkey paw kick. And monkey paw is another word for kick parry, a downward parry, right? I think is the other word for it. Um, and he did two downward parries to kind of parry away and, and skirt away the single-shot kick attempt. Uh, so since it was a single-shot kick, kick attempt, Borg just kind of leaves his hand up there. And it's just the weirdest-looking thing because he, he leaves it up there a little too long. And he does it, like, again. It's just the weirdest thing. Like, And he looks like Bill Murray, who's, like, posing like in the movie Kingpin. It's a great movie, right? Bill Murray with the bowling glove. And he's got the messed-up hair with the comb on it over. <laughs> uh, hey, mister, it's a bag of sugar in the back of your car. Like dealing coke, like oh, so great. Anyways, uh, but yeah, uh, Batorin, uh, Bontorin, I, I put a unit on him, unit on Miller, unit on Bontorin. I got them both at plus one thirty. Um, Marab minus one sixty. Casey Kenny plus one forty. Okay, I'm not gonna discourage anybody from making a play on this, but this is on my avoid list because I didn't get a chance to do tape study. This I didn't get a chance to watch Casey Kenny. Uh, which I'm guessing out grapple Manny Bermudez, even though Manny Bermudez technically got one more takedown on him. Um, but Manny Bermudez, who missed weight now at 155, 145, and 135 within a year, calendar year, by the way. Um, perhaps, you know, again, speaking of guys coming hot on the scene with a lot of respect and ha having to have their brakes pumped, could have been a case of that. 
And then there's controversy on, you know, uh, it wasn't a robbery by any means, but, like, you could have definitely have scored the fight for board, depending on what you're looking at. Um, so, you know, that being said, Casey Kenny, you know, for people who have been paying attention, he is, he is a uh, legitimate prospect. And if he's able to hit one of those knees like he did on that legacy, uh, I think it was a legacy fight on the regional scene, you know, on an incoming uh, Marab Davilashvili, he could do him well. But Davilashvili's never been stopped. Um, and the only submission he has is that technical submission, uh, which, say what you will, he deserves some credit. And, and if anything, regardless if you think it was a finish that Ricky Simon Bato got on him or not, um, you still can't look me in the eye and tell me that Davalish really is not a savage who's just going to keep going no matter what. So for that reason, I see why he's favored. He is more um, experienced. Uh, Casey Kenny is the better striker, but I don't see it being by like a vast amount. And I don't see the stance being an issue either, albeit Kenny is a southpaw. And I don't think Marab has fought any UFC-level southpaws. I may be wrong. I'm going to pull up his his uh, fight right now. I didn't watch his fight with Brad Katona either. Uh, Brad Katona may fight from the southpaw stance. Um, but, yeah, no, no, not in the UFC at least. Uh, not that it matters because, again, he's just going to grapple his ass off. And you look at his numbers, they just go up and up and up. Uh, by round, so I'm gonna go with um, I'm gonna go with Marab. Uh, I don't know if uh, Casey Kenny was training at the lab for this one. Looks like he was training at his other gym in Tucson, Rise of MMA. I think that's his main gym. Um, and I think Marab's coming in uh, to get a scalp here, man. So um, I like Marab. I I might even play. Mar I would even look to play Marab off my initial feel. But again, I could be completely wrong here, and this could be one of those fights where once I get into the tape study and watch both their last fights, which I didn't do for this, um, admittedly, that I could have been swayed. So for that reason, I'm putting it on the avoid list and ask you to take my analysis here with a grain of salt. But the pick is Marab. I also didn't want watch tape. Surprise, surprise on Macy. Keshaw, Chesson, minus 900 versus Shana Young as a short notice replacement at plus 600. Um, but if you looked at I saw she got submitted by that Alper girl. So I'm like, yeah, I can see why the over and under is contentious uh, at minus. You know, that would be the angle to go at it. But then I could see why because it's like, is Kiesan going to finish her or not finish her before the minus one or the, one, uh, the round and a half? Who knows? Because Chesson, staying away from that one too. Um, this one could be on the avoid list because I didn't do tape study over it and the line seems a bit off. I agree more with the original line on Holly and Piva being a slight favorite, but Holly and Piva is a big favorite. Um, minus 245, Mark De La Rosa, plus 205. Again, folks, flyaway fights because they're so technical and kind of like, you know, uh, depending on a counter striker or close exchanges are hard to score. Well, what do you think flyweight fights are? Flyweight fights are generally, if the guys aren't finishing each other, there are a lot of close exchanges, and most of those close exchanges take place in grappling. And if judges are having trouble deciphering striking, which stereotypically should be their strong suit, are we really going to expect them to know what they're looking for in grappling and B, be able to score it? Because as I fucking say so many times, there are no metrics. There's not even any unofficial metrics. There's not even like metrics I hear talked about by you guys enough on your on Twitter or on your podcasts as far as metrics for rewarding grappling from takedowns, attempts, control time, submission attempts, etc. 
And even if there were, those would are you know in defense be hard for the judges to score because it's going to be a lot of scrambling at flyweight. So that's why I always say, even if you think you've got a good read on a fight, you should always question over two to one spreads on flyweights because we see the swings on these fights. We see them. Um, and not just close fights, even fights you think are going to go one way and go the other, kind of like a heavyweight fight. Flyweights kind of have that quiet swing to it, like them and the female. So female fights and flyweight fights um, have quietly heavy, deceptively heavy swings to them like heavyweight fights. So anything over a two-to-one spread, you should always be skeptical of. That being said, I like Holly and Paiva here. He's still listed as a purple belt, but... He looks like he's sporting a brown belt and in one picture a black belt. My eyes are really bad um, when it comes to belts. When I used to uh, reward belts for rank tests back in the Kempo Karate days, like I was always known for giving kids the wrong belt. Like blue came before purple, and like I would fucking give kids like a purple belt. But what? I got rank jumped. Thanks, Sensei. Ta- oh shit! Look, sorry, 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 kid. <laughs> Getting their hopes up, and then I watched their spirit crushed because I'm colorblind and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but Paiva, um, regardless of his rank, better jiu-jitsu than he represents. He's kind of got that Charles Oliveira feel when he was coming up for the rise. And Paiva's got that. He's slowly putting together his strikes. You know, he could have easily scored that fight for Kaikara France his way. Um, and then, you know, again, I picked Bontorin to beat him. Uh, and Bontorin was coming back. But he had he cut Bontorin and had success against him. And... Again, the fight was stopped because of a cut. It was a bad cut and a just cut stoppage. That being said, you know, how much can you can you knock Paiva for that? This this, this guy is an animal, whereas De La Rosa hasn't done much to impress me. Again, real just kind of nothing to write home about on the feet. Fundamental boxing props to him for continuing to work and sharpen his defense and offensive fundamentals just like his wife. But he's going to get a lot less leeway with those skills than his wife will in his division, uh, even especially when you got a guy with a reach advantage and, and just activity advantage like Paiva, and is not going to be worried about you taking him down. That being said, if De La Rosa can kill scrambles, take him down, and control rounds, I could see De La Rosa you know, squeezing out two, round, two to one rounds here. That really wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world, especially at plus 205. That said, I'm not take, am I going to take a shot on him? Nope. No, I, I like Paiva here. Um, minus 245, I don't like the price. That's going to keep me away from playing him. If it was the opener, I probably would have played him. So props to you guys if you were on him and are the part of the reason why it's inflated. Any of y'all jumping on the train late better think twice for this price. That's all I got to say. All right. How did we do on time? Oh, 113. That was still a long episode, wasn't it? All right. Sorry, folks. All right. Recap of picks. Taking Anderson over Blockowitz. Taking Sanchez over Pajeda, albeit not confidently. Taking Clark over Townsend. Bramber. Taking... Della Rosa over Romero Borel, taking Brock Weaver over uh, uh, Rodrigo Vargas slash uh, Eric Del Fierro, taking Nancy Medeiros over Lando Venata, taking Tim Dirty Bird Means over Daniel Rodriguez, taking Nathaniel Wood over John Dotson, taking Jim Minasan over Scott Hot Josh Holzman, taking Rogerio Bontorin over Ray Borg, taking Marab Duvalishvili versus... Casey Kenny. Oh my God. You killed Kenny. Taking Macy Chasson over Shana Young. Taking Howley and Paiva over Mark De La Rosa. Tim Means is a good parlay piece. I don't know what I'm putting him in with, but good luck to you if you are. Taking Miller straight plus 130 for a unit. Bonter in plus 130 for a unit. 
Um, props, taking wood by decision, plus 108, half unit sprinkle. May look at some uh, third-round degenerate sprinkles on Madero's. Granted, that's on the avoid list. And uh, I already shouted out Townsend, may do a late finish later, but that's not official place. Look, that's just degenerate shit that I'm just talking about out loud. Avoid list, Sanchez Pajeda, of course. Avoid list, Madero's Fanata, let's be real, right? Avoid list for me, Marab Casey, um, but that's just for me. Good luck to you if you're on that one. Thank you guys for sticking with me. Apologies on the late episode. At least I'm getting this out twenty, at least 24 hours before the fight card starts, right? right. All right. Um, I'd feel bad plugging in on the late episode, but again, if you want to support the podcast without spending money go to the host site mixmarshallanalyst.com which you can find embedded to the profile for me on twitter at dan tom mma where you can lobby your questions as well as the podcast at the pym podcast but at the hosting site mixmarshallanalyst.com you will find things in the sidebar from a toggle on a smartphone or just on the front page from a regular desktop on it links if you like on it i like the hemp protein the new mood is great you click through that banner do your on it shopping doesn't cost you a dime but a small percentage goes back to this program and as you can hear i am putting money back into the podcast believe me as well as amazon we all shop at amazon you can find the link at the same place mixmarshallanalyst.com you just click through a couple extra clicks clicks one maybe two at the most and for free you are just uh contributing back to the podcast for no extra price than what you are shopping for iTunes ratings and reviews, five-star ratings and reviews. I haven't got a chance to read those or read the shopping list. I will give a shout-out to both, but that is free as well. iTunes five-star rating and review, and, of course, the PayPal donation link if you just want to donate straight to the podcast. Thank you, guys. Good luck with your picks and plays. Um, I will see you next week. It's going to be an earlier episode because it will have to be. My mom's having her surgery on Thursday, so I'm going to try to get you a Bellator and UFC preview by Wednesday. Um, so again, apologies. I've been super busy with all that stuff. I don't want to harp on it. You guys already know family comes first. So, but I'm still trying to take care of you guys for free as per usual. So thank you guys for sticking with me in return. Good luck on your picks and plays and always protect your neck.